News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Hey, it's 12.03, Wednesday afternoon, January 5th, 2022. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Hart. Japanese powerhouse Sony Corporation expanding its business to electric vehicles. We'll learn more in our next segment. But right now, a report on jobs in the private sector out today ahead of Friday's release of the Government Employment Report for December. Let's break it down with the help of Carl Riccadonna, chief U.S. economist, Bloomberg-based in New York. Carl, thanks for joining us today. ADP says private job payrolls grew by 807,000 in the month of December. That is double expectations. Will we see something similar when the Bureau of Labor Statistics releases its report at 7.30 local time on Friday morning? Well, remember that expression, fool me once, uh, shame on uh, you, fool me twice, shame on me. Uh, That's the uh, question uh, forecasters are grappling with as they look at the ADP numbers because ADP uh, missed uh, very much to the high side uh, in the November details. And so uh, the the question uh, uh, forecasters are contending with is whether that bias will carry over into the December report, in which case uh, forecasters should not be marking up their uh, uh, their uh, expectations as much as this ADP uh, report would otherwise suggest. Uh, really, as we drill down into the details, uh, we're, we're facing the issue of these frictions in the labor market, the, the non-participants uh, for health reasons or child care reasons, all of those frictions which were evident in the November report, uh, likely intensified in the month of December. Now, The employment data surveyed through the middle of the month, so we didn't even really know about that Greek letter Omicron uh, as uh, as the the, uh, payroll numbers were being tallied at that time. Nonetheless, if we look at case counts, uh, they were rising pretty sharply, purely based on the spread of Delta uh, throughout the U.S. uh, between uh, November and December. So there are some very significant negative factors that will weigh into this uh, December data when we get the results on Friday. Uh, That being said, this does seem like old news because now we know Omicron is having such a much more severe impact on uh, leisure and hospitality sector, for instance, and uh, a lot of related sectors, uh, high-touch sectors. Uh, So to some degree, we'll be looking right past this December jobs report and focused on what potentially could be a catastrophic January outcome. Very quickly, let's talk about some of those friction reports, uh, friction points in the ADP report. What are some of the trends about who is not working right now in the month of December or was in the month of December? Well, what we saw was a very strong hiring in the uh, goods sector, in the manufacturing sector in particular. And uh, the, the areas we're seeing some problems are uh, retail and kind of lower wage service jobs, where uh, that's been the, the hardest problem with uh, labor turnover, uh, rising quit rates, uh, and uh, trying to compete for talent uh, in those very low wage sectors. A lot of uh, individuals were benefiting from transfer payments, whether it was unemployment insurance earlier this year uh, or uh, child care tax credits and whatnot. And uh, it's going to take a little bit more time uh, to entice them back into the labor force. Carl Riccadonna, chief U.S. economist with Bloomberg based in New York. Thanks for joining us today. Coming up, another major competitor entering the electric vehicle market. Loaning useful information each weekday. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues.
Japan's Sony Group is exploring an entry into the electric vehicle market. Let's talk about this development with Andrew Bush, the former Chief Markets Intelligence Officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economist at andrewbush.com based in Chicago. Andy, thanks for joining us today. The Consumer Electronics Show underway in Las Vegas right now uh, always makes news with uh, some new product announcements and the uh, Sony car is one that uh, made everyone's uh, eyebrows uh, lift very briefly because when you think about it, Sony has all the tech that goes into the electric car. They just have to build the car. Yeah, there's that, right? But this is really interesting because what do we see? Why, why are technology firms moving into this space, whether it's Apple or Sony? And the reason is because of what you just said, which is brilliant. Yes, they have the technology, and now they're integrating that into something that moves, right? A car. And the other reason that they can do this is because it's not just the internal combustion engines. Those, those are pretty complicated. They've got like about 2,000 moving parts and the drivetrain and everything else. The, the EVs only have about 200 moving parts. So it's all about the electronics. It's all about the technology that goes into these companies. And obviously, Sony with PlayStation and a lot of their motion sensors that they have, they're a supplier to uh, Apple as well. Um, they have an advantage here. So let's see what they come up with. But the uh, video that they put out is really interesting. They don't even talk about the car. They just show them driving around. And it's pretty cool. Well, we do live in an era when uh, content creators, well, Netflix goes from mailing DVDs to people to becoming a major Hollywood player in both movies and TV shows. So it should follow that uh, the tech sector could also branch out into areas that were not traditional um, industries for them. And do you imagine a future where you have not only the big three automakers in this country, but you also have the EV startups, and then now you have the tech companies also entering the automotive space, and one day you can go to Apple Motors and uh, kick the tires in an Apple car or a Sony car? Yeah, the end game on this isn't just EVs, though. It's autonomous electric vehicles, and, and that's really where the big game is. And when you start thinking about technology and the end game, you realize it's all about the platform that they're going to create to be able to do that. And so you're going to need a lot of motion sensors on the cars. And, and that's an image sensing uh, is one of the big businesses that Sony has. So it makes a lot of sense for them to be in this. But again, you know, if we've learned anything from the iPhone and their platform that they have, right, that's where this is going. So it's, it's, it's really a rush to get there first. You need a lot of cloud computing. You need a lot of data analyzation. And you need really great image and motion sensors to do it. And that's where this business is going. With the uh, tech sector exploring electric vehicles and they want to actually build the car, and we said before, they have the tech already you know, on the shelf and available to them. Uh, what kind of uh, market exists for automotive engineers as uh, the tech companies try to uh, build their own car and incorporate their technology inside of it? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities here. And first and foremost, just like it is with energy, this isn't going to be like you flip a switch and it happens. This is a transition period. So um, for those that are still working on internal combustion engines, that's going to happen for a long time. All right. That's not going to go away anytime soon. And remember that EVs right now are only 4% of the total U.S. car markets. It's tiny, but it's going to increase significantly in the next five to 10 years. 
every automaker is coming out with EV lines, whether it's GM, whether it's BMW, whether it's VW. I mean, they're really making an effort. Chrysler just came out, I think they said this week, and their entire lineup of 2028 is going to have an EV in it. So you can see where the market's moving, how long it takes to get there. I'm not sure, but there's so much money being dedicated towards it. And there's huge efficiency gains when you go from ICE engines to uh, EV engines. They, they last so much longer that you know every trucking company is interested in this. So a lot of money flowing towards it, Rob. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Andrew Bush, former chief markets intelligence officer at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission and economist at andrewbush.com. Coming up next, Walmart expanding its in-home grocery delivery service. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Walmart is expanding the availability of its in-home delivery service to 30 million households. Let's take a closer look at the strategy with Gerald Storch, CEO of Storch Advisors, formerly vice chairman at Target, chairman and CEO of Toys R Us, based in Vero Beach, Florida. Gerald, thanks for joining us today. Jerry, how did the uh, how did the the Walmart pilot program go, and what did they learn before uh, blowing it out in uh, such in, in 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 such a way? Well, look, they're 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 in a battle to the end with Amazon for dominance of e-commerce, and groceries one of the largest segments. And so far, Walmart has held Amazon at bay. And what they learned is, sure, customers like to go to the store and pick out their own groceries. Some of them like it when you deliver it outside their home, but there's still others who love it when you bring it inside the home and make it all easy, put it in the refrigerator in case they're not home so it's not out there on the stoop getting hot and heavy. So so that's what they learned. And th- this may not be the biggest segment for now in uh, e-commerce, but it's going to grow. If, if customers feel comfortable with security aspects of it, I think it's going to grow a lot because customers don't have, can, can order things and not worry about it again. It just comes right into their fridge. Is this the future of e-commerce? I mean, above and beyond uh, grocery delivery and they put the stuff in your refrigerator. Is this a case of uh, you can buy furniture from some retailer at some point in the future and they will just bring it into your house? Workers will and assemble it and put it somewhere and you don't have to worry about it? I think at least part of the future, the real future is what we call, you know, omni-channel or all-channel retail. It's where the customer chooses. They want to shop in person and pick it out and say, oh, I want exactly that, you know, that, uh, you know, that apple, that beautiful one. Or I want that, that couch, you know, that I want to pick from three that look identical to someone else. But, you know, the customer says, oh, this has got a mark on it. This one's perfect. You can do that. If you want it to a place all over your home, you don't have to be there. You can do that. So it's going to be, you know, customer choice and customer rules in the future. And the companies that have both physical stores and in there are the ones that are going to win. Amazon, it's a wild card. They certainly won every other place, but not in grocery, where Walmart remains the largest grocer in the country. Jerry, let's talk about security. Uh, the Walmart employee utilizes a special Walmart lock. They are wearing a camera the entire time. Were there any issues during the pilot program with uh, employees uh, walking away with things in customers' homes, or was it uh, was it very trustworthy? No, it was safe, and and you know they have, they're, they've got cameras on at all times. Everything's recorded. Amazon does the same thing, by the way. They have a pilot where they're doing the same thing. So keep in mind, when Walmart looked at this, one of the big things in their mind is we can't let Amazon gain an inch more on us anywhere. 
So Amazon is the same kind of thing with a special lock. You don't enter with a code, you know, so you know who would do it if someone took anything is the one who had the special code, right? And they record everything. So no, there were not security issues, even though it still feels a little creepy to me. Thanks for joining us, Gerald Storch, CEO of Storch Advisors, formerly Vice Chairman at Target and Chairman and CEO of Toys R Us based in Vero Beach, Florida. Still ahead in Personal Finance Wednesday, adjusting your investment portfolio to handle rising interest rates. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio. WBBM investigators in Philadelphia look for the cause of a fire that's the city's deadliest in more than 100 years. A fire in a West Suburban home leaves three people dead. Personal Finance Wednesday interest rates are rising. That means you may need to adjust your financial strategies. And on the financial front, protecting sensitive information by using a virtual credit card. WBBM Business, the markets are the Dow is up 63 points. The Nasdaq is down 210. The S&P 500 is down 16. AccuWeather says winter weather advisory in effect until 6 o'clock for blowing and drifting snow. Winds today gusting to 45 miles an hour. High temperatures in the teens, but the wind chills will dip below zero. Right now we have 13 degrees in Chicago at 1231. Topping our news at the half hour. At least 13 people, including seven children, have died after a fire in a Philadelphia Row House. This man lives near the building. He tells our sister station, KYW News Radio in Philadelphia. It's just sad to think that, you know, some of those people might have perished and just want to think about the victims and their families and friends. 26 people were reportedly staying in the house that had been split into two apartments. Three people are dead. Another victim suffered critical injuries after a fire in a home in the western suburbs this morning. Crews responded around 7.30 to the house in the 2300 block of Grove Street. River Grove Fire Chief Sean Flynn says the flames broke out in an attached garage and quickly spread to the rest of the house. Several other suburban departments also called in to help. The cause of the fire is under investigation. It's 12.32 as the noon business hour continues. Markets are mixed today. We're joined by Brian Battle, Director at Performance Trust Capital Partners and Advisor at PT Asset Management based in Chicago. Brian, thanks for joining us today. Is this simply a case of investors taking a breather? Yeah, Rob, you know, to stretch the metaphor, there is a cold breeze blowing through the market today, but it's really just NASDAQ, like you said, down 1.3% today. Um, but it, a longer-term time horizon is probably warranted. In the last month, the S&P 500 is up 5%, and in the last year, the S&P is up 28%. So, yes, I think we have a raging market rally that might be taking a little pause here because one of the things that's changed, one of the facts that's changed for the market, as you mentioned, is interest rates are seemingly heading up. Now, they're definitely higher. A year ago, the 10-year Treasury note was just below 1%. Right now, it's 1.68, almost one and three quarters percent. So, rates are rising or have risen. And we're going to get news today from the Federal Reserve. The minutes from their last meeting is going to come out. And the Federal Reserve is going to talk about what they think about interest rates. Now, is this simply a case, at least as far as the NASDAQ is concerned, uh, the blahs taking place in the tech sector right now, is this simply a case of investors moving out of tech and into the bond market? So there's a couple of things going on. Yes. I mean, for, first things first, the tech market is just rallied like crazy. Right? Growth has just been on fire this past year and has driven a lot of the market averages higher, you know, growth and in, in 
increases and returns in the market are driven by some of the just the biggest tech stocks in the country, like Apple, Google, Facebook, those kind of names. Uh, NVIDIA are all driving the market higher. They have really, really high valuations. What will cause their valuation to be a little bit more subject is if rates rise and you know professional investors will trim their winners. So I think we're kind of on pause here to see what's going to happen in interest rates. And it's not a bad strategy generally to sell your winners and rotate into something that's disfavored, like maybe more value companies, you know, small and medium and mid cap companies instead of keep, you know, staying on that horse and hoping it keeps going higher. Trying to uh, look into your crystal ball with uh, regard to uh, interest rate hikes over the course of the year. We know they are happening, but when it's all said and done, historically, where will interest rates fall kind of on the scale of of, of the, the incredibly low to non-existent rates uh, after the Great Recession to, you know, what people still talk about from the early 80s when it was 18 or 19 percent? Yeah, and so um, so we we better be careful because the Federal Reserve has predictions and the market is predicting there will be three rate increases this year, and you're intuiting that exactly right from a really really low level. So there's two things that the Fed has done to make rates go lower is one is they've lowered short-term interest rates, thing they control, and they've also printed money and bought $8.7 trillion worth of bonds. So there's two parts, two components to the Fed controlling interest rates. So there's we have to watch both of those things separately. What are they talking about? Rates. Will they raise short-term rates? And what are they going to do about all those bonds that they own, and are they going to keep buying them? They've indicated that they won't, so that will make market rates go higher is the expectation. So how much they go up and when, like magnitude, and timing is something we're very sensitized to. That Fed, that release for the minutes comes out today about one o'clock, one fifteen. Um, and so we have a long way to go for rates to be normalized. You know, if you think back a couple of years ago, the all rates were five percent, and there was no difference between long rates and short rates. If you go back about ten years, so we're talking about if rates go up from a really, really low level. Um, my the first mortgage I ever took out in 1990 was a 10.5%. I don't know if we're going back to those days, um, but there's a there's a long, long way between here and there. And this time, it's different. We say that all the time, but we've never been in an era where we turn the economy off. Uh, public policy, not coronavirus. We turned it off due to public policy. And so restarting the economy is going to be something we've never done before. And we've never had this much federal money pumped into the economy. And just to, for one last point, and just for context, the Federal Reserve owns $8.7 trillion worth of mortgages and treasury notes. The U.S. GDP is about $20 trillion. So it's a gigantic number. We start saying trillions. Those numbers are almost unimaginable. But um, you know, past precedent might not be valid this time. And so we're all learning as we go. So it's really hard to make predictions now because we've never done this before. And very quickly, are we in a situation where corporate America is going to kind of race to the bank and refinance their debt ahead of the first round of rate increases later this year? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely right. Great question. So we've had an, an enormous amount of corporate issuance. There have been a lot of corporate treasurers refinancing their debt. A lot of homeowners, hopefully, if you're on the call here, you've refinanced your mortgage or looked at it recently. Um, rates are definitely, definitely low. Um, but you you bring up a great point. I don't I don't know if I'd be looking at the economic statistics as much as I would be listening to the first quarter earnings. You know, we're getting into earnings season now. Let's hear what corporate treasurers and corporate America says about their business. I don't care about backwards looking economic statistics. Let's hear from the people that are 
they're doing it, the business owners, the practitioners to say, hey, here's where our sales are, here's where our profitability is, and this is what we think about the future. I'd, I want to hear about the empirical data, not about the projections. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Brian Battle, Director at Performance Trust Capital Partners and Advisor at PT Asset Management based in Chicago. Lunch money for all generations. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's Personal Finance Wednesday. Interest rates are rising, and that means we have to adjust your money strategies. Let's get some ideas from Mark Horner, Wealth Advisor at Fairhaven Wealth Management based in Wheaton. The website, fairhavenwealth.com. Mark, thanks for joining us today. At what stage in the investment or, let's say, retirement planning uh, cycle uh, should you, as as the investor, uh, be sensitive to uh, financial conditions as they exist this year? Hey, Rob, great to be with you. I, you know, I would say for anybody, even uh, approaching retirement or just getting started, the beginning of the new the beginning of the new calendar year is a great time to be taking a look at where you are in your financial plan and what the mix of your investment portfolio looks like and compare that with what you're with what you're seeing in the current environment decide if it's time to be making some making some uh, some changes or tweaks to the portfolio so so right right now would be a super time to do that and it uh, it does seem pretty clear even though for the the life of my 20 plus year career in this business it seems the wall street talking heads are always predicting the rise of the rise of interest rates i think that's uh, that seems uh, that that's uh, actually going to be coming coming true here, and that combined uh, with the high rate of inflation, which I think those two things are related. But it does seem to make some sense to really take a hard look at uh, at the fixed income side of your portfolio, but also but also the equity side as well. Well, what are some things that you can do uh, as you look at the environment of interest rates going up? Uh, what are some things like some small tweaks you can make right away? Yeah, so Brian from Performance Trust, which I guess in full disclosure, we do business with them, So, but we're big fans of them. He touched on this, and I think in a previous segment, to look at maybe the liability side of an individual's balance sheet. So if you haven't refinanced uh, a mortgage recently to lock in rates, that would be a great thing to do. Uh, but then also back to the asset side of the of the balance sheet in the fixed in the fixed income world there's a few a few different asset classes that if you don't have exposure to you might consider this and i want to emphasize consider uh we're not talking about backing up the truck to this uh to any of any of these ideas but there are loans out there that instead of fixed rate they they float so floating rate floating rate loans and the idea there is that if interest rates do continue to rise your fixed income uh interest rates will adjust upward uh, naturally, I think on the uh, maybe some asset classes to think about lightening up on, and again a, a, a tweak would be would be government government bond type investments uh, on the fixed income side, and then over on the equity side of the 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 asset mix, I just think it's always a good idea to look for opportunity in areas of the market that maybe haven't treated you as well as others. So. You know, I think we're I think we're all familiar with the the run of the S and P 500 over the last 10 plus years, and the international markets have have lagged have lagged there. So, does your is your portfolio out of weight domestically? Should you be thinking about maybe adding to some of the asset classes that haven't done as well recently? About five years ago, we were talking about uh, raising interest rates uh, as they were coming off. Uh 
the the Great Recession. Uh, twenty seventeen, it always seemed like we was like waiting for Godot. They were waiting for the rate hike, and it finally happened. Um, how did what, what were some of the moves that people made five years ago, and are they applicable to twenty twenty two? You know, I, I can't confess to, to remember exactly what some of those moves were back in 2017, but, but the things that we're talking about here today are going to be common strategies that, that, that somebody should really be, again, considering in, a, in an environment where you might be faced with, uh, with, rising, with rising rates. The, you know, I'd say another element on the, on the equity side of the, of the ledger, this is sort of taking it to another level. And that is to maybe maybe think about the role of options within a within a portfolio. And so the idea of covered call strategies are are ways to are ways to add another element of income to somebody's portfolio. Uh, that that topic in particular, though, I'd strongly encourage anybody to talk to a some form of financial advisor professional because those can get pretty complicated. So there's a, there's a wide range of uh, of options, no pun intended, to consider in the in the portfolio but again i'd re-emphasize uh resist the urge to uh to to just back up the truck to any one of these ideas all these ideas are best deployed as an element of a broadly diversified portfolio mark horner wealth advisor at fairhaven wealth management based in wheaton thanks for joining us today your website fairhavenwealth.com join us this time tomorrow for technology thursday and still to come new credit card apps that can provide better security the only program dedicated to currency events. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Some credit card companies are turning to apps and browser extensions to protect the information of users. Let's get the latest now from Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com, based in New York. Ted, thanks for joining us today. If, if you're a plastic credit card user, and that is most of us, over the last couple of years, how much business or how much activity uh, for a credit card company is devoted to issuing replacement cards to users after fraudulent charges have been reported? Has that been ballooning over the last three or four years? It is definitely a pain point, and it is increasing, partly because more transactions are being done online, and that does represent a fraud risk. In person, we have those chip cards to protect us. Online, there are not as many protections, and that's where a lot of the fraud goes. Gas stations are another example, although just recently they've started to accept chip cards in much wider numbers there. So here are a few things you can do online if you're worried about security. One would be to sign up for a virtual credit card. Both Capital One and Citi offer this basically a disposable card number. It conceals your real card number. So if there is any sort of fraud, it's much easier to recover from. Another good tip would be to use this service called Click to Pay. It's basically a consortium of Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Discover. They used to have their own individual services, but now they've teamed up on this Click to Pay offering. You see it on a lot of big retail sites. It's more secure because it uses encryption. It uses things they know about you, like a known device, or sometimes there's a two-factor authentication element. They'll text you like, hey, was this really you? These are things that go beyond just typing in your card number from a security standpoint. From the merchant standpoint, you know, how easy is it to adapt to these new innovations? 
It's increasingly easy because it's built in for the most part to payment systems. Another good thing, and this mostly takes place in person, although sometimes online, would be mobile payments like Apple Pay and Google Pay, Samsung Pay, things like that. That's built into almost all payment terminals nowadays. And what makes it more secure is encryption, but also the fact that there's some biometric elements. So you prove it's you because of your thumbprint or your face ID, something like that. Um, So I think these are increasingly becoming the standard, but people who are especially concerned about security might want to consider one of these methods. Ted Rossman, industry analyst, creditcards.com. Thank you for joining us today based in New York. If you missed any part of today's noon business hour, we'll have the replay podcast available shortly at WBBMnewsradio.com and the Odyssey app.